Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Tennessee. I'm your host, Gary Holt. Joining me in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is the fantastic Miss Bobby Jean Bell. Good morning, Bobby. <laughs> oh, I like that. The fantastic. <laughs> That's right. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Gary. I'm doing great. <laughs> well, good, good, good. So uh, you still have that uh, package of toilet paper that you were able to pick up the other day? You know what? We haven't had to open that one yet. We're still working with the the last three rolls that we had before we were blessed with that pack. And you know, since 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 Jim was able to pick up that pack, whenever that was, like a week ago, 
Um, there still has not been any in the grocery store. <laughs> oh, well, that's good so to we know. We were really blessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, for some reason, uh, every time I try to wash out my toilet paper after I've used it, it just doesn't <laughs> seem to hold together. So. Oh, my uh, me. But we'll, okay, we'll more get than we wanted to know. Yeah, more than I wanted to tell you this morning. But uh, anyway, Thanks, we'll make sir. it through all of this. Sir. We'll make it through yes, all this. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Yeah. Yes, we yeah. Will. Beautiful day in Tennessee today. How's your weather out in Albuquerque? Very nice. Uh, Jim and I uh, do take a daily walk, and we got that in. Uh, it was a little briefer than usual, but we got that in this morning, and it was ju- it's just beautiful. Really beautiful day today. You know, it's, it's hard to have such wonderful weather when we're under such a dark shadow, isn't it? It, it almost feels, you know, like we should have – you know, nasty weather during all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had plenty I used to of that feel that about earthquakes, too. You know, yeah, I used to feel yeah. that about earthquakes, too, because, you know, normally the sky is, is what's causing the problem, hurricane, tornado, blizzard, you know. But the first time we went through an earthquake that was horrendous and the sky was just as bright and sunny and shiny as it could be, I thought, you know, there is a disconnect. With some of the challenges that we get. <laughs> uh, gosh. Well, with all that's going on, it does not hurt my feelings any at all to see all the beautiful colors with the trees that are in bloom and the flowers that are in bloom and the sunny skies. So that just makes everything a little bit better. But uh, talking about better, we have a fantastic show today. Who's going to be joining us for the first hour? Well, we have John Cosell on the line, one of the trio of the High Country Cowboys. They're so awesome. So we're looking forward to talking with John and playing more music of theirs today. All right. So we've got some great music to share with everybody and a great conversation that we'll have with John. Maybe we'll check on his toilet paper situation out in Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. But then in the second hour... Uh, we're going to be visiting with uh, Backcountry Horsemen of America's Chairman Jim, Jim McGarvey and the American Quarter Horse Association's Executive Vice President, Mr. Craig Huffines. And that all comes up on Saddle Up America in the second hour of the show. But right now, let's listen to a fun song from the High Country Cowboys from their city, Great American Cowboy. It's one called Mule Train with the eldest brother of the high country cowboys when we return on the campfire cafe Cotton needle for 
for the folks away out yonder. A shovel for a miner who left his home to wander. The rheumatism pills for the settlers in the hills. Get along, you. Get along. There's a bucket shot, a backup for a rancher in Corona, a guitar for a cowboy out in Arizona, a dress of calico for a pretty Navajo. Get along. performed by the High Country Cowboys from their CD, Great American Cowboy. Today's featured guest is John Cosell of the trio of multi-talented brothers who call themselves the High Country Cowboys. Remembering the good old days of Western music and the silver screen cowboys like Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, and the Sons of the Pioneers, the High Country Cowboys present their brand, of this classic genre and their traditional sound and three-part western harmony has been compared to the sons of the pioneers and marty robbins born and raised in the heart of ranch country in south central montana they grew up playing cowboys and native americans and watching the old b western films since hitting the music scene in 2014 they have received multiple awards and recognition for their tight harmony and yodeling skill from the Pro Cowboy Country Artist Association and the International Western Music Association. Let's see, the High Country Cowboys consist of Brother Marty, lead singer on guitar and an award-winning yodeler. He's also an accomplished saddle maker and leather crafter. Uh, let's see, um, now this is where I get the Joe and John just a tad confused, so we're going to let John tell us about his brothers and their multi-talented crafts. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe, one of the award-winning Cosell brothers and a master artist, Joe C- uh, John Cosell of the High Country Cowboys. Good morning, John. <laughs> hey, Bobby. Hey, thanks for, thanks for that fine introduction. <laughs> <laughs> if I could just get John and Joe, it'd be like right in my mind. <laughs> well, the way the way I remember it too is that Joe's got the mustache and I don't. There you there go. go. <laughs> there you go. 
Yeah. So, well, you were you were given the you were kind of given the uh, list of other things that we do when we have our spare time on our hands, and uh, we've had a lot of that lately. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, and you Joe, are so yeah. you are so multi-talented. That's the thing that's amazing about your whole family, all the talents that you have. Well, I, you know, I guess that probably started uh, being homeschooled. We had, uh, you know, time, you know, because we'd be at home doing, you know, projects at home or whatever, and so everybody would pick their own little thing and and uh, do it or whatever. For me, it was painting, and uh, our dad had kind of painted pictures. We were growing up, and I thought that was really neat, so I started painting pictures and Western art and all that, and... Uh, and uh, then Joe, he wanted to be a little different. He wanted to, uh, and most of us did, you know, arts and crafts. But Joe, he uh, wanted to take it a little bit more seriously, and he, he makes guitars. And uh, the two guitars Marty and I play in the band were made by Joe. And uh, so if you ever see a, a guitar with uh, by Joe on the headstock, it's one of Joe's guitars. He's uh, that's, uh, that's his trademark, so... Well, you guys are so talented, but uh, but there were twelve of you in the family, weren't there? That's right. Yeah, there still are, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, how many of you were homeschooled at the same time? Um, let's see here. I'm gonna have to get my fingers out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say it was probably eight at the most at the same time. And wow. One of the sisters. One of our sisters, the older sister, was our teacher, and so, yeah. But it, uh, it worked cool. out really well. It was a it was a great way to grow up for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, I think your dad played a little guitar, didn't he? Well, he doesn't brag about it, but yeah, he did. As we were, you know, that's kind of where we got, you know, picked up the guitar playing or whatever with some dad. Um, Dad just did it around the house. It wasn't anything fancy or anything, and but um, yeah, there a lot of good memories of Dad playing the guitar. So yeah, and then there were two other brothers that performed with you for a while. Yeah, and uh, well, a, yeah, you got a musical got a, family. We, well, you know, actually, uh, the three of us are only three dumb enough to keep it going, but uh, but yeah, we've always <laughs> liked music, so. It's been, it's been, that was another thing that was part of our homeschooling was a lot of music. So, wow. So now, now Joe plays the bass. Yep. Uh, you play several instruments. What do you play? Well, I only break about playing the guitar, and I really don't break about that either. But, um, yeah, guitar is what I play on stage. So, all right. And, uh, do you play some fiddle? Well, I, so I don't like to tell people that. But <laughs> we do most of our recordings. We do most of our recordings from home, and uh, that was something else that we kind of picked up. You know, everybody being at home all the time, and it was more fun for us to to do things that you know on our own. To you know, to do every right. part of everything. When we made our first album, we did every single part of it, a- aside from doing the research on copyright. We would make the album covers, design all the computer work. I still do that. But yeah. I would even print all the labels, put them in the, the CD jackets. I mean, every burn the picture onto the CD itself and 
I think oh, everything wow. on the first album we did, I was we it was fun. That's what we did, and of um, course now we we kind of uh, we need to come out with them a little faster than that, thankfully. So still we have that sent out to be done. But yeah, we we're a family that really likes to do stuff on our own. So yeah, we did most of our albums. We do the musical instruments um, ourselves. Um, if we were to get up on stage and try to play those parts, it would be it would be painful to the ear. But when you're in the recording <laughs> when you're in the recording studio, you, you can dub it over and repeat it and get it until you get it right. And so it's a so it's fun though to see what you can come out with, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you guys have put out some great, great music. You've got a you've got I think you have a very unique sound, and it's a great sound. And uh, uh, we talked, I think it's been probably two years or three years since you guys were on the show together. Uh, we had all three of you on the last time we were on. And uh, Joe, we barely could get to talk, or I don't know whether he just <laughs> couldn't get a word in edgewise between you and Marty, but but uh, Joe's kind of the quiet one, and uh, and and when I when I called Marty and said I want you guys to come on the show, he said you better call John. He's the one that does all the talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember Marty saying that, but uh, yeah, uh, you'll have to talk to him about that just a little bit. But you've got a great CD. This one, this one is your latest one. It's called Great American Cowboy. And another song we want to get to from that is one called Wayward Wind. It's a great cover of this song. Let's take a listen to that. And uh, we'll come back and talk more with John in just a moment. And we'll have to find out about the toilet paper situation out there in Arizona <laughs> right now. So, this is Wayward Wind, High Country Cowboys. Thank you. 
met a girl in a border town We said we'd never part Though I tried my best to settle down She's now alone with a broken heart For the wayward wind is a restless wind Restless wind that yearns to wander, and I was born the next of kin, the next of kin. That's the High Country Cowboys. And, uh, John, I I recall from the last time you were on the show, you said one of your big influence was Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers. Um, Who are your influences today? Who do you guys listen to? Oh, you know, it's still the Sons of the Pioneers. It's kind of, I don't know... um, They've always been our heroes, and I, it just hasn't been a sound comparable to them, it, as far as uh, my opinion goes. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but it, I don't know. We're, it's not that we're trying to copy them anymore, though. Like you said, anymore we do have our own unique sound, and so we just we kind of do our own thing, I guess. But um, when we need to when we need to look to somebody for for um, you know help or you know. Or whatever, if we need a new song or whatever, we usually go to the Sons of the Pioneers first. So, wow, well, those are good ones. Those are good they are, ones. You know, and that's even songs that the Sons of Pioneers have never done. If we hear a song, even just a recently written song, we'll we'll take that song and we'll try to do it in that style. The Sons of the Pioneers, the traditional Sons of the Pioneers, you know. And, well, well, and I'm I, so happy to. Go I'm ahead, sorry. Bobby. No, go I was ahead. just gonna say I'm so I'm so happy to see that y'all are taking even you know fairly recent music, um, New Mexico under New Mexico skies, written by Sid Masters. You know, you you just took that and with your harmonies, you just claimed that for yourselves, and yet it's a new you know fairly new piece, and you've also picked up some of the Sons of the Sun, Joaquin. Um, right. pieces and I and and thank you for doing that because um, these are master songwriters as well and and I'm happy to see you know that that uh, that you're not that you're not just looking to you know you're looking beyond what had shaped you in the beginning I guess right <laughs> right no it's no if it's a good, if it's good music there's no reason not to play it the way I see it so yeah it's uh-huh. But yeah, there's uh, there are some good songs out there, and uh, there's a lot of songs I think. Wow, you know, it could have just been a little more. You know, we're we're a western a western group, and so if we hear another western group play something that I think should have been more western, less country or less rock or whatever, you know, 
we kind of like, oh, that's that's not traditional, you know. We we really prefer to stick to the you know the traditional Western sound that was really prominent back in the forties, fifties, you know. But um, and of course that's all opinion. But that's when we hear a song that we think really fits our genre and uh, the uh, that forties and fifties sound, then it's like we gotta we gotta put that one out there, you know. Yeah. Well, and you make it you make it your own when you do. So that's that's so cool. I mean, that's that's what I said earlier. You guys have such a unique sound, and uh, and whatever you do, whether it's the covers that you got on your album or any original stuff, it's just so unique and different that uh, I think right away you can tell we're listening to the High Country Cowboys. So that's mm-hmm. pretty doggone cool. That is pretty doggone cool. <laughs> Well, you've you've done quite a few covers on this CD, but you also have some original songs on here. And uh, one we want to get to right now is one called Mountain Man Yodel that Marty wrote. Let's take a listen to that and come back. You about your toilet paper. I guess I'll have to do that when we come back. (laughs) (laughs) I keep forgetting about that toilet paper problem. Way up near the timberline with the snowfields stay all year. Way up near the mountain peaks where the skies are bright and clear. Lived an old mountain man who couldn't sing a note. But this old guy had sparkling eyes and a yodel in his throat. He would go le yodel yodel no one would go near him when he'd start to sing his song They couldn't stand to hear him cause most every note was wrong Then he'd start to yodel in a voice so loud and clear They would gather around him cause they couldn't wait to hear Then one day he made his way down into the town And somebody asked him how he made that awful sound As it comes from living where the air is cold and thin It bends the notes down in your throat and makes your old head spin Oh, 
of the High Country Cowboys, Marty, who always brings the house down when he steps up to just give us that great American yodel. <laughs> Another one of the cuts from the great American uh, Cowboys CD. We're talking with uh, John Cosell, and this is just so much fun. Um, John, I'm, well, Gary wants us to be sure we get the toilet paper question out of the way so it doesn't hang over us the rest of the show. So <laughs> you all have enough pee at home? <laughs> you know, we were pretty lucky because um, we, well, we've got a pretty good-sized family st- still at the house here. And uh, and um, so, and we're, oh, what are we, about 50, 60 miles from the, from the nearest city. And oh, well, wow. And it's, uh, what is it? If we go from here straight towards Prescott, we can go over a dirt road, which is the nicest way to go because you eliminate all the crazy traffic. And it's probably, oh, I think it's like almost 30 miles of dirt road. Wow. uh, So, but it's it's really pretty, scenic and all that. It takes us about an hour and 20 minutes to get to, to Walmart. But anyways, that being the case, we always go to town and shop for a whole month. And then right. stay home for that month, and you know we all we all have our home business or whatever that we do, and and so we got into Walmart just before this crazy thing started going on, and we got loaded up on all the supplies, including toilet paper. So we're still sitting pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so if we need any, we should contact you, and you'd be willing to ship us some. Is that is that what I'm hearing there? <laughs> <laughs> a new, a new side are, business. It's been about a month. We're we're just about due to go to town again here, and uh, I actually did have to. I actually did have to stop in the little country store not too far from here, and and they they did have a couple rolls for us, so that'll hold us <laughs> over till we get there. Uh, it'll be the thing that we'll all be talking about, you know, or grandchildren, you know, fifty years from now. I remember when they told us about that. <laughs> that epidemic, and that there wasn't any toilet paper. <laughs> Fifty years from now, they may ask, "What is toilet paper?" It could be like, yeah, yeah, rotary phones or something, you know. <laughs> exactly. So, John, you you are obviously all so well known for your harmonies, and I want to just touch on it for a moment. Um, the way that the 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 um, the way that you each um, sing now. However, that is high, low. I'm not a musician, obviously, so you find your spot in within the three uh, voice ranges. Were you always singing the parts the way you do now, or has that evolved over time? That that evolved, and that was a pretty interesting. That was interesting the way it happened. Yeah, so I gotta remember how this how it did happen. When we first started as a trio. Now, this was after Andy and Bill, our two oldest brothers, left the group. I think I took lead, you know, being the oldest, you just assume you, I was supposed to lead or whatever. Right. And, uh, and Marty was just a really a natural at high harmony. And Joe had the lowest voice between all three of us, so he took low harmony. And so, but I, my voice is weak um, compared to the other two boys. So I, being lead was the wrong spot for me. So we decided we needed to switch it up, and Joe had the most powerful voice out of all three of us, and I couldn't sing high harmony, so Joe and I traded places. So Joe was on lead, Marty stayed on high, and then I was on low harmony. And so that was better, but it just didn't have the sound we wanted. We wanted more of a the Sons of the Pioneer sound. And 
until about a year, year and a half later, after singing like that for a while. And this was still around the house. This wasn't out in public. But after that, then we decided, okay, we need to switch this up because Joe's voice was just strong. It was powerful. It, it, it was really similar, in my opinion, to Jack Hanna's voice. But yeah. Marty and I, we, Marty and I couldn't blend with it. It just it didn't blend right because Joe was just too powerful and and too baritone. And so um, we decided let's try putting Marty on lead because Mar- by then Marty's voice had fully developed and he had a, a, a voice that was starting to sound more like Bob Nolan and uh, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Times Pioneers. But anyways, and Tommy uh, Doss. Tommy Doss. Well, yeah, Tommy Doss, but it also was in between that and uh, Dale Warren. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, and Dale Warren would sing lead a lot with the pioneers, and uh, but anyways, um, so we put Joe on high harmony, just so that his voice would, you know, on a higher note, it would kind of, I, it kind of ease off a little bit. It wouldn't be so powerful, and we that's when we got the blend we were looking for, and it took us a while to get it figured out, but it, yeah, it was that's where we are now, and it. Uh, we're not happy with that mix. Mm-hmm. Well, it's remarkable. I'll never forget that, that first time when I saw you at the IWMA, and I think you, the three of you were singing kind of up on a balcony overlooking um, the lobby area, and we looked up, and I think you had red shirts on, and we're like, who are those guys? <laughs> 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 who are those guys? <laughs> Yeah, that was our first year going there. That was that was a that was a fun time. Yeah, you just sort of burst on the screen. Uh, you know, you just burst burst on the scene, and and um and then you're all just so delightful as well. You know, um <laughs> that uh, you you just brought a whole new like fresh wind, fresh breeze came. You know, blowing into the organization when you guys when you guys came along. So such fun to always put see you perform. Oh, well, we appreciate it a lot. Are we still there? Yep, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I have to be wait, careful because uh, we got a wind blowing up here on our property, and sometimes up here where I'm sitting, this is like the best place for service, but every once in a while I'll be talking on the phone, and the <laughs> service will just all of a sudden cut out, and I'll be gone. And so, <laughs> so if, if that happens, that's You'll understand why. So. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, we've had people call in from all kinds of places across the across the country. So cell service is not always what it should be wherever you are. So anyway, but this is this is the title cut from the CD, Great American Cowboy. You were talking about the sons of the San Joaquin a while ago and Jack Hanna. And Jack wrote this song. So let's take a listen to Great American Cowboy. High Country Cowboy is our guest. John Cassell is the special guest today, and we'll be back in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe. Now he's up at the crack of dawn, putting those big boots on. Pulling those calves in the snow has left them tired. There's tension in the air. As he thinks of the critters out there, the grazing's gone, the winter has hit him hard. 
cowboy, great American cowboy. Big high boots, that's in hat and a leather vest. Cowboy, great American cowboy. With a horse and a rope and a gun, he tamed the wind. Now it's up at the crack of dawn, putting those woolies on. The wind's so cold, the chills are running down his back. The cattle range is froze, and every little doggie knows he's an angel of mercy mounted on a horse's back. Every critter's life depends on him. Cowboy, great American cowboy. Big high boots, Stetson hat, and a leather vest. Cowboy, great American cowboy. With a horse and a rope and a gun, he tamed the wind. Up at the crack of dawn, putting that Stetson on, and for the daddy of them all to celebrate. Well, he busts out of the shoe, riding that wagaloo, smiling and a rolling his own, and he counts to eight. Cowboy, great American cowboy, big high boots. Stetson hat and a leather vest. Cowboy, great American cowboy. With a horse and a rope and a gun, he tamed the wind. Cowboy, great American cowboy. Big high boots, Stetson hat and a leather vest. Cowboy. Great American cowboy With a horse and a rope and a gun He tamed the wind With a horse and a rope and a gun He tamed the wind With a horse and a rope and a gun He tamed the Cowboy, it's the title cut from the CD, and um, I was thinking back, I believe, John, you guys had mentioned at one time when you decided to start doing harmonies that you had gotten a CD from Riders in the Sky that talked about harmony. Is that right? Is my memory failing me? No, that's correct. Yeah, that was actually, uh, they had a video, and uh, I believe, I'm sure they still have that video out there. Uh, but that's where um, 
when we were when we were first uh, playing music around the house, we had oh well first we had like a school band with all the brass instruments and such, and uh, it was a lot of noise and it sounded terrible. But um, <laughs> but then we kind of moved into bluegrass and got the you know the banjo and the guitars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but all the time. You're growing up, we were watching Roy Rogers and seeing the Sons of the Pioneers and all that, and uh, that was really where our, our hearts were as far as music goes. But we just didn't, I don't know, we just didn't picture ourselves being able to do anything like that. But uh, Mom uh, saw that potential, and so she's, I don't know how, how she found it, but she found a DVD on how to sing Western Harmony, and, uh, and it was by Riders in the Sky, and so she gave that to one of the older brothers for as a Christmas present one year and and uh when we started watching that it kind of inspired us to give it a try and and uh you know oh that doesn't look that hard you know whatever and and some of our first recordings were were the worst thing you could ever imagine to listen to <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a lot of fun it, it was a lot of fun experimenting with all that and Oh, well, I bet it was. Uh, Bobby, have you ever seen that DVD? I have not. That'd yeah, I kind of thought I had everything. I kind of thought I had everything that they've that they've created, but I I missed on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. it's a good one. I'm not sure where our copy is now. I imagine one of the brothers had it still, but it's a, yeah. it's good. It it explains the difference between Western harmony and other kinds of harmony, and oh, and the wow. different kinds the different kinds of harmony you can use, like, um, you know, most Western harmony is just done as parallel harmony, you know, where, you know, the the low and the, and the high harmonies just follow the lead up and down. And, right. Uh, but then there's cases where, like uh, the song Tumbling Tumbleweeds, this was a good example they did, where, uh, and the Sons of Pioneers had to do this, there's such a range in that song that, the uh, that the vocals have to switch places. So when uh, when the low harmony starts, he's actually singing lead, and then you have a, a high harmony and a double high harmony. And if the song goes up in the scale, then they switch places so that you've got a low harmony, lead, and high, and then it gets even higher so that you have a low, a, a double low, a low harmony, and then lead, which is your highest voice, and it. I don't know. I'm not very good at explaining things, but uh, I hope you understood what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm totally I'm totally confused. So I, I tell you what, we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to ask Ranger Doug if he's got that DVD and see if we couldn't get hold of it sometime. But yeah, that, I'd be surprised if they don't have it still. It, it was a good DVD. It was it was a good one to watch though. Yeah. Well, whatever it was, it worked for you guys because you're absolutely great, and. Um, I've got another song that I want to get to right now called Cimarron Moon. And actually, this was written by Ranger Doug. So let's take a listen to that and come back and talk with John in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe. Roll, Cimarron Moon. 
my church bells are ringing, but I'm riding alone. The river sparkles, reflecting midnight beams, broken dreams, endlessly. Dreams that were broken years ago, they live I know. In memory Wish I could join that Cimarron moon way up in the sky And scatter moonbeams Across the prairie From on high Cimarron moon Are you waiting for me? I'm coming you see When I'm ready to roll I won't be far away And I'll be there any day And I'll be coming back American Cowboy. We're back with John Cosell, one of the trio. So, John, um, you guys have been playing a lot of interesting places over the last couple of years. Um, you want to share a little bit about maybe a, a favorite um, theater or performance or festival and, and what made it so special? Well, uh, I like the way you put that, that interesting. Um, makes it kind of wonder where we've been playing, but... Uh, yeah, we've been. Uh, I think our I think our favorite thing that we've been doing lately is doing the cowboy gatherings. We've been invited to quite a few, and and uh, there have been some good ones. Uh, Heber Heber City, Utah, mm-hmm. is a good one. Um, Durango, Colorado, was really fun, and we're supposed to be there this year. Um, yeah, you know, and that's they kind of run together too. So I'm kind of having a hard time thinking of them all, but. Uh, yeah. Our hometown of Billings, Montana, we have a pretty good-sized theater there called the Alberta Bear. And we've done as good as 700. We've drawn a crowd of 700 people there. So that, wow. was, wow. probably, that was probably our, our first show as far as that goes. But, but wow. uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's fun to play where people really appreciate you. And um, the Cowboy Gatherings is uh it's that's the easiest to get an appreciative crowd, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's. Uh, um, I, 
I know touring schedules are are really you know um, not happening right now. Do you have? But do you are you do you have some things maybe coming up in the fall that you're looking well, forward to? Yeah, yeah, we've got some stuff in the summer we're supposed to do, but you know, of course, that's kind of on the on the teeter totter right now. So we'll have to see how that goes. But yeah, like I said, we have oh September comes around. Um, we're doing uh, one of my favorite places. That's the um, uh, the Cody Museum, the Buffalo Bills Historical oh, Museum. Oh, yeah. And Cody, yeah, we'll be doing two shows there. Um, and that's that's one of my favorite museums, and it's just it's just fun to be able to play there after growing up around there, and and uh, sure. have been to get invited to play there. It's kind of an honor. So, um, so then uh, we got that. We've got a whole oh, couple of private gigs, and then. Um, a cowboy gathering in Idaho that we'll be doing, and and then of course the Durango cowboy gathering in October. So, but uh, well, yeah. hopefully, hopefully by October all of this will be behind us and we'll be back on schedule again with everything. So, yeah, I know a lot a lot of these are just kind of up in the air, and some things have already been canceled. So, yeah, um, no, I've seen I've seen a show was canceled for July third. Uh, for somebody's Western music show in Texas, I guess. Uh, but, wow. Uh, yeah, that was pretty disappointing to see that far out that they're already canceling stuff. So. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get all of this behind us and things can kind of get back to some shape of normal again. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And we won't have to worry about our toilet paper as much as we do right now. So that'd be a good thing. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's, that's like the worst <laughs> thing there. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Well, another great song that you've got is the Mexicali medley. And uh, we want to take a listen to that right for just a minute and uh, come back and talk more with John Cassell on the Campfire Cafe. And now as I wonder 
in the darkness, right out with the morning dew. I want to breathe some air that's never been breathed. I want to drink the wine of freedom, toast the good ones that we knew. I'm going to count a million stars and think of you. I want to see one more hometown rodeo where it's hats up for the flag. We'll cheer that fucking horse in wild ride. Wild ride. I'm gonna shoot a hole in my TV set and let the silence ring on through. I'm gonna count a million stars and think of you. Don't tell me that the West is dead and gone. My poor heart can't stand to hear that sad old song. It's saying that you've missed it all, I'm betting that you're wrong. Don't tell me it's dead and gone. I want to see one more Charlie Russell print in some old sail barn cafe. Where the old men over coffee tell their tales. I want to ride out with the wagon. Smell the scent of springtime sage Want the wind at my back on down the trail I want to see suntan Cowgirl cheeks and long braids neath the hat Want to hear the summer rain on the roof At a country dance We'll ride out a raging storm Till the light comes shining through Gonna count a million stars and think of you My poor heart can't stand to hear that settled song. It's saying that you've missed it all. I'm betting that you're wrong. Don't tell me it's dead and gone. Don't tell me that the West is dead and gone. My poor heart can't stand to hear that settled song. It's saying that you've missed it all. I'm betting. That you're wrong Don't tell me it's dead and gone Don't tell me it's dead and Tennessee. This is Saddle Up America on Equestrian Legacy Radio. I'm your host, Gary Holt, and today we are privileged to have with us again Backcountry Horseman of America's past national president, Mr. Jim McGarvey, and his guest, Mr. Craig Huffines, vice president of the American Quarter Horse Association. When we come back, we'll be visiting with Jim and Craig on Equestrian Legacy Radio's Saddle Up America heard around the world online at equestrianlegacy.net.
Miss Trinity Seeley rides for the brand. And from Nashville, I'm your host, Gary Holt. And as always, on the first Thursday of the month, we're joined by Backcountry Horsemen of America's good-looking past national chairman, Mr. Jim McGarvey. <laughs> How are you doing, Jim? <laughs> uh, you've got me speechless, Gary, but uh, glad to be here. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Going into our sixth year together. Sure Does is. Seem like and it? We've had a lot of yeah, a lot of interesting guests. I think we've got a particularly interesting guest today um, in, in Mr. Craig Huffines. Uh, Craig is the executive vice president of the American Quarter Horse Association. And so we're going to be talking about Craig, and we're going to be talking a lot about the American Quarter Horse Association. Um, uh, welcome on, Craig. Well, thank you, Jim. Gary, uh, just happy to be here with you today. appreciate the invite. Well, we're glad, glad to, have to have you. Have you. Uh first met uh, Craig in, um, I think, the fall of 2014. Uh, the, the, American, the Certified Horsemanship Association, who we've had on the show, uh, had their annual meeting in Amarillo and West Texas uh, State University, which is just south of Amarillo. And I remember with Cindy and I, we, we flew into Oklahoma City, and then we drove, rented a car and drove to Amarillo. And so I had Amarillo by morning on my smartphone. <laughs> And so we're driving in. There's there's the 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 city limit sign that says Amarillo. And so uh, she recorded a video of of the, with a song playing and seeing the sign and sent it to her dad, Amarillo by morning. And so uh, um, that but that was uh, uh, it was a it was really an interesting visit because we it was hosted a lot. Uh, some of the events, the social events and educational events, were held at the. American Quarter Horse Headquarters, uh, Association Headquarters in Amarillo, and that's how I met Craig. And um, and I, we've worked together, and we'll talk about this a little later, uh, uh, over the past several years with the both being on the Recreation Committee and, and, and Craig on the Board of Trustees, the American uh, Horse, uh, Horse Association. So uh, we're glad to have Craig on. Uh, Craig, um, let me ask you, get, let you get to talking here. How how did uh, can you tell us a little bit about maybe an overview of the American Quarter Horse Association and 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 how you got got there and became executive vice president? Well, that's an interesting story, Jim. It, really, we need to write a book about you know the begin. And there's probably been several written about the beginnings of the American Quarter Horse Association, and it goes back into the 1940s. Uh, we're a, a 78-year organization that really began. Um, when a group of ranchers, uh, back in those days, there were about 14 big Texas ranches, uh, a couple out of New Mexico uh, in that group, that, um, that, that were big stockmen, big cattle operations, um, big vast areas of land that they managed, and they were also raising horses. Um, so, you know, today's farmer and rancher goes down to John Deere to pick up an implement. Well, that wasn't available back then. You know, they they needed to run run the range on on horses and in the evenings or on weekends sometimes they would match race those horses down main streets and place their bets on those matches and of course bragging rights came when you had one of those great stallions that was athletic good-minded and fast but could also take care of the cowboy on the range and and understood how to move and and work cattle and so they began trading those those stallions around and breeding programs began and they got together and decided hey let's let's start an organization and track the pedigrees 
of these wonderful animals and then create marketing programs that, that could then evolve over you know, several decades to promote that horse, the great quarter horse. And so that's, that started back in the 1940s. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, in north central Texas, grew up on a small farm, a little cow-calf operation. We, we had horses growing up and would work cattle. And, of course, you know, we would play day and show uh, those horses. And, and so I would get the American Quarter Horse Journal as a kid and just thumb through and look at those great stallions. And I just was always infatuated with the American Quarter Horse Association. Um, my career path went a different way and, and wound up uh, getting an animal science degree and, and going to work in the livestock industry for a breed association out of Kansas City, the American Hereford Association, and very much a commodity ag business organization. And we we worked on a turnaround of, of, of our organization and our industry over about 20 years, and, and suddenly I got a phone call um, from some folks here in Amarillo said, hey, would you be interested in interviewing for, for this spot here in Amarillo? We're going through some management transition. And I thought, oh, my goodness, wouldn't that be wonderful um, to go to work for, for you know, the, the world's largest uh, equine uh, association, largest breed association of any livestock species. And it was just an honor. Yeah. for me to get that call and, and move back to Texas um, and get involved and engaged to, in this amazing industry. Well, now, you've got the, the title of Executive Vice President. I mm-hmm. guess you report to the Executive Committee, but are you like the Chief Operating Officer or the Chief Executive Officer? Chief Executive Officer, yes, sir, um, is an interchangeable title. And uh, that, you know, that just means that I, I have a big bullseye, you know, they, uh, that's, that's the guy that, uh, that, you know, where the buck stops. And, and, uh, and, and then I answer to an executive committee of five elected um, execs that come off the board of directors. We have a big board of directors, about 280 strong from all over the world. Um, uh, you know, there's, we do business in about a hundred countries. No kidding. Uh, yeah, there's uh, about 35 to 38,000 international members of AQHA. So um, that's what's exciting is you get to you get to meet and visit and uh, collaborate with people all over the world. Well, one thing now the word quarter in American quarter horse is that about the a quarter mile of the speed or what, what that's a quarter mile. <clears throat> that's a great question. Um, you know these these horses were designed. Um, when they were breeding them on the ranches, um, to have very quick speed, um, so they they needed to be athletic, both laterally and 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 down the straightaway, and their endurance, um, you know, kind of fizzled out after five six hundred yards, but that first quarter of a mile is a blistering pace. It's over forty miles an hour. Um, they, yeah. you know, we we have a racing department. So um, most Americans think of the racing industry as the thoroughbred and and justified. You know, uh, was wonderful for our industry as he hit the triple crown two weekends ago. But you know, the quarter horse is is a partner in that industry, running those quarter mile straightaways in um, in, in less than 21 seconds. Um, and so it's kind of like the difference between a sprint car or a dragster and uh, in a NASCAR where you're going around, uh, you know, 100 times, uh, or the difference between a miler and a 100-meter dash in in uh, human athlete form. So, um, you know, they're designed to go fast and a bolt of lightning out the gate. Um, and they're extremely exciting to see when they pound it down that quarter-mile stretch. 
I imagine. Well, you mentioned Justify just a minute ago, and I think Bob Baffert started his career with quarter horses, didn't he? He he did. You know, um, uh, Bob Baffert and, of course, D. Wayne Lucas had had a horse in that race as well. You know, both of those guys started out uh, quarter horse trainers. I mean, they still refer to those guys as those quarter horse guys. Um, yeah. and of course, you know, we're, we're honored that, uh, mm-hmm. that they were part of our industry, but then they've really, um, been successful in the global thoroughbred racing industry. And, and, and isn't that amazing to see two horses hit that triple crown and, in in, in, in what, three years or four years, oh, that's yeah. just, just unheard of. And it's great for the sport. The, um, uh, when, when we first met and again, in 2014, um, I remember it, uh, you gave a talk um, that one evening uh, to uh, in the museum area um, to a big big crowd, uh, and you mentioned you were talking about the the study you had just completed of your member mm-hmm. survey, and uh, you had a high percentage of women, uh, and that and, and also the trail riding was a predominant reason for owning a quarter horse. Is that yeah. correct in that? You've got a great memory, Jim. You know, and and I know this <laughs> kind of hits your wheelhouse. Um, with your backcountry involvement, um, you know, uh, if you look at our demographics, we're heavily weighted toward um, women. The female is uh, 70% of our membership, 30% male. Um, you know, due to the fact that our industry, I think it's safe to say, guys, it's a, it's a heavily disposable income-dependent industry, so you have to have a little bit of uh, a reserves there to take care of a horse these days. And so they're they're middle class um, or greater. Um, oh, and and the vast majority are over the age of 45. So yeah. Um, yeah. you know, 45 year old women are 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 older. Um, many of them are baby boomers that are now empty nesters, and their horses is their relationship, and they're they're tied to other to other women. And um, over 50 percent, probably six closer to 60 percent of our membership are predominantly recreational riders. Which mean they they don't participate, you know, in competition or shows. They're they're just they just love the the lifestyle um, and the relationship with the horse and what that brings to enrich your life. Um, and and they're looking for places to go, open sky, open trails um, that they can go and enjoy that nice ride and see the country. And that's that's the big portion of the 250,000 uh, paying you know dues paying members. And I would say that that number is probably closer to six, seven hundred thousand horse owners nationally, if not more. Uh, yeah, you know it's well, interesting because your numbers uh, relate to every breed right now. I think mostly I think they seventy do. percent women. Yeah, most yeah. of them are forty-five plus, and uh, and and most of them are enjoying the trails with their horses. So the numbers well, are true for every breed. The, the, yeah, the backcountry horse men of America is predominantly women. I, I mean, I don't think it's seventy, but I know it's fifty plus, and and uh, um, we don't have it quite broke out exactly. But uh, I know that I think everybody agrees that it's uh, the majority of women in the backcountry horse men uh, of America. So it's uh, um, uh, and I think when you're on the trails, even uh, often you'll see a, a group of women, uh, you know, uh, that uh, ride together. And, um, uh, and it is a lifestyle. It's it's certainly a lifestyle. And um, 
uh, gets you up every morning. I, it puts me in mind, too, I, we had the uh, youth day at the Capitol um, in Atlanta at the Capitol Hill building, the Capitol building, and um, it was youth with the horses and outdoors, and so we were the horse kids. And uh, the governor came to our little lunch thing. We had a big turnout. We had maybe 100 kids and parents. And um, the governor was there. He spoke, and he said that he thought owning a horse was one of the great things for a kid to have because you gave you responsibility. You had to feed the horse. You had to clean the horse. You had to clean stalls. It's, it gave you discipline at a young age, and it, it, it carried through your whole life. And I thought it was really a great talk by uh, Governor Nathan Deal here in Georgia about the value of a horse inside of a family and raising kids. So, Well, you guys remember the old quote Winston Churchill said. Uh, oh yeah. Something about the outside of a horse that is good for the inside of a man and um yeah. you know that that goes for our kids, that goes for uh our our working military folks, the folks who come back home from the military and with their challenges with PSTD, we're we're starting to see science that even documents what this relationship with the horse can do with our our American folks that that are disabled. So, you know, it's just an incredible animal that we've been blessed to I have the opportunity to develop a relationship with, and uh, you know, if you look at the type of people that are that are a part of our association, Gary, you might get a kick out of this. There's some other statistics on them. Uh, average household has two dogs and one cat. Um, <laughs> they uh, they they 97 percent own at least one truck or an SUV. Uh, that that goes without saying because you've got to pull those trailers around. And 36% of the folks who are members of AQHA are involved in the cattle business. So they're animal lovers. And uh, we, we estimate that just on the pet side, um, our membership will purchase in the neighborhood of a billion dollars worth of pet care products to support all those dogs and cats. So, um, you know, it's, wow. a, it's, a, it's a special kind of person that, that you know, yeah. puts all of their disposable income into their animals, but you got you you all know those kind of people. They live in my house and and in yours probably, right? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Well, you know, uh, Craig, I've got I've got that Churchill quote uh, on a sign down at the barn. <laughs> I look at it every every morning. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he was an interesting one because he rode in the last charge of the of the British Empire. At the Battle of Omdurman, and uh, so he was—he was a horse guy from the beginning, and uh, uh, um, and he, yeah, he had his philosophy by the horse. Well, he, he did. He—he he absolutely did. And of course, back in those days in World War One, you know that horsepower, horsepower is what ultimately gave him victory. But um, you know, there's—it's—it's it's just an amazing um, industry that we're involved in. When you talk about economic impact. Um, of our industry, um, and you talk about, you know, what this passion for the horse drives in terms of economy in the recreational vacation business, uh, in the entertainment world, in um, in our in our vehicle automotive industry, um, and all the supporting endemic, you know, groups from pharmaceutical nutrition companies to tack and. Um, and, and all types of health. Uh, it's it's really remarkable, you know, what this this horse means to the nation in terms of the economy. Absolutely, what? absolutely. Go ahead, Jim. Well, you know, it it, uh, it 
I, what I think impressive uh, when going through, let's say, the website of the magazine or uh, of the American Quarter Horse Association, is your relationship with some large corporate corporations. You've got uh, uh, Ford Motor Company, you know, Ford Truck, the F one fifty, and mm-hmm. and discount is related to it, and uh, Bank of America credit card, and uh, you've got a lot of great corporate partners, uh, and I think that's quite impressive, and, and says a lot about your organization and its membership and its reach. Well, they're great partners, and we consider them partners, um, not just sponsors, but partners, because their their sponsorship goes to supporting programs, um, whether it's a show program, a youth educational program, or some of our uh, some of our uh, uh, you know recreational riding awards programs. Um, they're engaged with us, and their people, their marketing people, understand the power. Uh, of our consumers that are members and and so it's a it's a win-win for both of us they're supporting our events and then in turn uh, the branding power that they get um, by directly supporting our membership is incredible so we did a little study not too long ago and you brought up Ford but you know Ford's market share within our memberships about 53 percent and out in the regular country it's down under 30 percent so um, oh, wow. You know that's a that's a partnership, and and those are those are some of the things that we can share with corporate partners when they come in and look, take a look at at who we are. We've got a very loyal, um, you know, membership base that, you know, when you support them, they're going to support you, and vice versa. And that's the way it ought to be, you know. Well, if you go into a trailhead and just see which trucks models are there, it's Ford. <laughs> it's yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Our driveway too. Um, well, tell us. You mentioned the programs, supporting the programs. What what all the what are the programs that American Quarter Horse participates in? I know it's quite varied. Um, well, we we obviously um, are. It's almost at times like the American Quarter Horse is supporting. It's it's the underpinning of multiple industries within the the equine industry. And so, if you just want to think about all the different ways in which you can compete in an event on a horse from, we mentioned quarter horse racing to um, the confirmation halter horse and everything in between from the National Reigning Horse Association, all of our AQHA events from Western Pleasure to Hunter Jumper, Hunter Under Saddle to rodeo, barrel racing and roping. the National Cutting Horse Association, National Reining Cow Horse Association, the Versatility Ranch Horse Association and Championship, which we just held last weekend. It's a variety of specialized events where people hone in on a community and they hone that particular talent with that horse. And we're we're supporting all of it. Um, and any given day, there's you know probably countless events of different disciplines going on in little parts and big parts of the country, over in Europe and Latin America, Australasia, up in Canada. These events um, are creating competition, and that competition creates a value on that horse. And so, you know, one of the big things we do is we track. We track those, those competition points and earnings, and that gets put back onto the pedigree of the animal, and then that will then determine in the future the value of future progeny, say out of a stallion or an elite mare, um, because it tells a story. And so our association is really about telling a story of what these horses can do and are doing 
you know, in that competition pen or down the racetrack. So right. you, you, you right. sort of track the batting average of these horses. Absolutely. That, we're kind of the ESPN. That, oh, yeah, we're the ESPN of, 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 of the quarter horse industry. And, you know, people get into statistics. You know, they, they like watching uh, leaderboards, and they, they enjoy watching what this particular sire's uh, offspring are, being, are, are capable of doing in whatever event. And so it, it, it creates this following, you know, of, of what's happening on the breeding side. Oh. That's one of that's the most popular. The... Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, yeah, one of the most one of the most popular events now, as far as competition, is your ranch horse versatility program, isn't it? You know, it is, Gary. It's it's uh, it's it's incredible what's happening um, uh, with the versatility ranch horse and our ranch horse um, events, and I think it's maybe because it's simple. Um, you know, it doesn't require a full time trainer. You can obviously right. have one that can help you get better, but it's a very family-oriented event. Um, it it allows novice beginners to to enter into a competition that's not only enjoyable but they can handle it. Um, it's it's and it, and then it can get as exciting as you want. If you want to work a cow, cut a cow, um, you know, work a cow down the rail. Uh, rope a calf. I mean, it can get to that level, but it's very family oriented. It doesn't take expensive saddles and tack. Um, in fact, they discourage it. You get discounted if you come in right. there with a bunch of silver on. I mean, it's just <laughs> cowboy, you know. Um, they right. require you to wear a cowboy hat, blue jeans, dress the part. Um, and so I think it's laid back. It's kind of a throwback to another era, and uh, it's, it's getting some growth. Well, I think that's it. I think it's going back to what the real working cow horse was supposed to do. And uh, uh, I had Al Dunning on the show not too long ago, and he was talking about some competitions that he had been at, and he said just the size of the classes was un unbelievable compared to the other classes. They're they're getting a lot of growth, and it's and it's uh, it's working in the youth age groups. Um, a lot of youth are getting involved. Um, you know, you, you don't, you really don't necessarily have to, you know, buy a, a really, really expensive horse to be able to compete. Um, it, and so, there's a lot of good things, you know, about about that particular event being inclusive. And I think inclusive is the word, it's the phrase of the day when related to how we service, you know, our equine industry. How inclusive can we be? you know right 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 well we want to take a quick break and uh when we come back i'd like to talk a little bit about uh what you're doing to bring more youth into the association because i know that's important with every breed right now and uh, and a few more of the programs that you've got with the american quarter horse association but you're listening to equestrian legacy radio's saddle up america Heard around the world, streaming live, online, and on demand at equestrianlegacy.net. We'll be right back.
cowboys back in the days of my youth. Top horses, tough cowboys, were all that I knew then. Each one was tested and true. Chasing wild cattle through mesquite and thick choya, thorn dripping right through our hides. Brush popping cowboys, we hit that brush running and trust to our ponies and riders. holes through the brush, spurring to our cow dogs on the run. We roped them where we found them, tied off hard and fast, flip the rope, trip them to the ground. A tough cow horse to hold them, we'd bail from the saddle to wrap and the hooey tied them down. Wild Texas cowboys riding for our brain. In the days of my youth Riding, whooping, roping We drug them from the brush Yeah, I once rode with the bell Things we're working on, um, you know, 
one is trying to get uh, good horses in the hands of kids, and, and we have a, a program that uh, we developed about four years ago called the Young Horse Pro Young Horseman Program, and uh, young young uh, teenagers or younger actually can apply for their own colt, and so there's some breeders that have donated a young yearling colt, um, and last year we gave close to 100 of them away. Wow. Uh, to to kids and and then we give them instructional opportunities to start that colt as a baby uh, through groundwork, uh, you know, just the the basic groundwork of of getting getting that baby used to to being on the lead and footwork and lunging and loading in and out of a trailer and just the very basics of that early. Um, programming that early relationship and then they can migrate up into into breaking that horse you know and and uh and cult starting um and so so that's been a very interesting um program where we've seen just unbelievable young people engage uh, uh with a with a brand new baby uh yearling you know we want to try to expand it beyond that because there's career paths that these kids you know these kids get involved and engaged with the equine industry, there's all kinds of career paths that they might take um, outside of training or uh, or veterinary medicine. I mean, there's just all kinds of uh, entertainment, digital marketing uh, 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 venues um, where, you know, kids can get involved in, in their lifestyle with the horse, but also follow these different career paths where they might come back and support the industry. And so we're trying to create some educational opportunities for kids. Just this week, this weekend in College Station, Texas, Gary, we're holding a youth excellence seminar. A couple of hundred youth will come down uh, for educational background, and and uh, they'll they'll politic a little bit, and run for a national board, and uh, right alongside that is the Youth World Cup. And so kids from Europe and Asia and Latin America, Canada are flying in to compete um, with each other um, on horseback at the College Station, and so, you know, we're trying to keep these kids engaged. We took about 12 of them to Washington, D.C. Uh, three weeks ago to the American Horse Council Convention, and uh, th those kids got by uh, uh, Secretary Purdue's office at the Secretary of Agriculture and had a good visit with him, and so we're trying to keep them connected politically, uh, some of these real good uh, leaders uh, in our youth group. So, um you know, the, one of the challenges we run into is, is adult leadership. And what we're finding in 4-H is that um, we're seeing fewer and fewer adults step up and support equine programs, and I think that's an area we need to work on. Uh, wow. Because they need, men, they need mentors. Um, you know, they need people that, that they can learn from. Um, and so many of our initiatives is how do we align with 4-H at the grassroots level and start these clubs where, where kids can socialize with their with their equestrian project and also have some good mentorship and so I think that's an area that really needs work. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, that I wanted to ask, mind of, go ahead. Yes. I, I wanted to ask too, uh speaking of programs, and you mentioned a little bit earlier in the show about uh the relationship that you're seeing between horses and veterinary uh and vets. And yes. uh, do you have do you have a program geared toward vets and working with them with a horse? Well, I tell you, we 
we have a, a, a American Quarter Horse Foundation as one of its pillars is um, to support um, equine assisted therapy. And so as a part of that, obviously you can channel that through uh, through through uh, uh, different programs that are working with uh, veterinary uh, with veterans who've come home with PTSD, and, and that's a that's a major issue. Uh, we talked about it at the American Horse Council uh, three weeks ago. Uh, there's a study currently ongoing at uh, Columbia University that's actually documenting the science that's suggesting that there is a true impact and effect uh, improving the condition of PTSD in veterans, and you know. That science has been elusive in the past. It's been anecdotal, but now we're starting to see some real figures and some statistics showing how it can impact. One of the problems we have, um, there's 22 veterans committing suicide every day. Uh, That's a statistic that that has been talked about here recently, and and it's heartbreaking. And to the degree that we can use this horse to impact their lives, number one, that horse is tending to keep them in therapy longer, you know, when they're, you know, many of them just drop out. They get frustrated, they drop out, but that relationship with the horse tends to keep them involved in therapy longer, giving them a better chance to, for improvement. And so, Gary, I think there's immense opportunity here. Um, we need to raise more money. We need to do more research. And Lord knows um, our young men and women of the military need the help. Um, so, you know, that's, that's an area we're, we're engaged in. Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, uh, do you remember Jennifer O'Neill, the actress? We yes. had her yeah. on, we had, yeah, we had Jennifer on the show a couple of weeks ago and she actually lives just outside of Nashville. She's been here for about 24 years, but they have an equine assisted therapy program that's geared toward, uh, servicemen and women and first responders to help with that and uh and they've had people like kicks brooks that have come in and helped raise money and put on shows to to provide funds to keep this going but it doesn't cost them anything it doesn't cost the servicemen or women anything to attend and uh, it really has had an impact on them so kudos to anything that american quarter horse association is doing to help towards that end well, we appreciate it. Now, you know, our big job is fundraising, and, and so um, we're always interested in working with people who want to help fundraise and help support. We, 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 we give out a lot of grant proposals to folks who are running these different clinics, and, and, um, and boy, it's, it's just fabulous work um, it really when is. you get that it kind really of response. Is. You bet. It really is. Change, changes lives. Changes lives, not only for the you service bet. men and women, but for their families as well. But, Absolutely. Uh, another area that I wanted to ask about, and Jim, I hate to cut in on you, but uh, no, I, I promise jump I'll, right be, in, Gary. <laughs> I'll be quiet in just a minute. But you have a do you have a trail trails program, a trail horse program? We do, we do. Absolutely. There's about twenty thousand uh, registered riders, and they log um, hours and distance on their horses for awards. Uh, we give away saddle pads and belt buckles and you know, different incentives for hitting different targets. And this year, we've actually created an application for their phone that will actually help to track those trail rides. Um, it'll map it for them, and it'll collect oh, their distance. Great. And uh, the, the, you know, so we're using, we're kind of integrating some modern technology that we use on hikes and 
you know, the hiking industry and, and trying to deploy it, you know, with their horse and right. and that stuff can that it, that data can automatically be uploaded into our headquarters where we can track it and create some social opportunity back and forth where they can share their information with their friends and, and the like of that. So um you know, anything that that you can do where you can use technology to track progress, whether you're working out at the gym or doing your road work, your cycling or your hiking or horseback, it's uh it's kind of modern times and, and we're just trying to modernize that part of it. Yeah, yeah. Well that's great. We need to encourage people to participate in those kind of programs and uh, that's pretty cool stuff. How many members do you have? Do you say over two hundred and fifty thousand? Paid members, two hundred fifty thousand paid members, two hundred and fifty-one thousand. Um, about thirty-five thousand of those are international, and yeah. the big populations of international. About fifty percent international are are uh, are from Canada. Um, about ten percent Latin America, and then about twenty percent Europe. Um, okay. So we have a tremendous uh, organized following in Europe, Latin America, and of course to the to the north border. Yeah, yeah, that that is so cool. I've had some folks that have been on the show doing clinics, and they've gone to Germany, for example, to do clinics, and they said they they're just amazed at the number of folks that show up for those multi-day events that are taking place over there. Just just to watch, they see more cowboy hats than they do in Texas sometimes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, there's a there's a real. Uh, you know, when you get over to Europe, there's a real affinity for our Western heritage. And, um, you know, our everyday cowboy, um, you know, we'll send a few of those those clinicians over there, and those people are just fascinated. You know, they they want to to have a piece of that. They like to have a little bit of that lifestyle. And I think that's about as close as they can get unless they come over here and we get them on a ranch, right? So um, <laughs> it's just incredibly interesting to engage with folks from around the the world. You get down into Latin America, man, uh, now their cowboys are real cowboys. They're not cowboys, they're gauchos, but right, a different culture. Right. But they have the same tendencies as our, as our cowboys. They're very proud, wear the beret, the cummerbund, you know. They've got the, the knickers with the boots. Um, so they've got their look too, you know, that that's uniquely them. Uh, but they are just like our cowboys down there in Latin America. Right, right. Jim, you had a you had a good question about challenges. You wanna you wanna address that? Well, challenges we've, and opportunities. Well, the um, uh, I know that we have the challenges of um, uh, in the backcountry horsemen. It's probably similar to. The trail riders, the, the quarter horse association. It's um, we have an aging membership, um, and it's uh, you know are we replacing our folks that that retire from riding or, or kind of you know slow down a good bit? Are we we bringing new folks in? And we've we uh, we talk about it in the backcountry horsemen whether it, uh, you know we work with kids and college age uh, also. Uh, take them out in the backcountry and volunteer trips and, and, you know, and those type of things. But then there's the big gap of, let's say, 20 years or 25 years where, um, you know, you, you have a family and you get a mortgage and kids and, and all that and car payments. And and uh, before you can kind of get your head above water here, like you, as Craig mentioned, 45 and 15, I assume that's sort of the same thing uh, you have in the American Corridor Association. Kind of maybe you've worked with kids a lot, but do you have a gap then at a point in time? Yeah, I think we do, Jim. I, you know, I think a challenge 
for any um, any organization or any industry uh, when you when you talk about trans transferring membership from from childhood to adult, you have that gap, and it you know it starts when these kids go off to college, and they 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 work on that education, and of course they they're they're not going to have time or the money, um, many of them to to get into whatever their hobby is, whether it's it's horseback riding, bicycling. I mean, just there's there's tends to be a gap. Uh, between there and then they move on and and they start young families in a in a career path and so um, that twenty something uh, early thirty something age group is start where, is is where we start to see a real loss and then they come back at age forty five or forty you know so we're trying to figure out how do, how do you engage those people in their twenties and thirties when when they don't have a lot of disposable income they probably can't afford to board a horse. Um, unless they're their buddies, they're partnering with a buddy somewhere, and they're splitting the cost. But how do you know without the horse? How do you keep them engaged in the lifestyle? And so those are some things that we're thinking about. Um, you know, creating councils and and uh, vacation opportunities and and educational meetings and forums to try to create a community of those young adults um, to just just keep keep your hooks in them, right? Just keep them engaged right. and and interested. Um, because there's there's a likelihood that they're going to get involved at some point in time when they have the money, or when they have some time. And so that, I think that's a challenge whether you're in sports or or, or golf or, or hunting and fishing. I mean, it, it's just that that time of life when kids are just trying to get launched. Um, and and we all miss them, you know. Um, I, I've got two of them right now. I've got two sons, one in college, and one's about to graduate from med school. And uh, I asked him, I said, Hey, you want to? You ready for a new set of golf clubs? He said, Dad, I don't have time to play golf. You know, forget about that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, so, but it's you know whatever ideas we have collectively as an industry, we need we need to pool because um, because if you lose them, then you may not get them back. You know, you just that's, that's you know, got to focus that on. True. That is true. Well, it's 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 a wonderful sport to be involved in, and some people like myself have been involved since I was before I was born. My dad had horses; we had horses growing up, and um, I can't think of a time when I haven't owned a horse. So, not everybody is fortunate like that to be able to right. have that kind of an opportunity. Not that kind of opportunity. Well, Jim, any, well for any me, other. Uh, it, well, for me, it was an odd thing. We, uh, I didn't grow up with horses. Grew up with, I realized that I've had cattle as my next door neighbor for 60 of my 70 years. Have had a cows as my next door neighbor, uh, and uh, but uh, not horses. My first horse ride was down the Grand Canyon on mules on the North Rim. And after that, I felt well. I think I can ride a horse, but um, uh, it was a it was a it was a good start. And uh, we raised our our daughters, you know, with horses and and 4-H pony clubs and all that. And so uh, uh, it became quite a family thing for us with our daughters. But um, uh, so yeah, it's uh, I th- it's probably like you say, golf, sports, anything. It's uh, keeping them connected through the years and. Uh, uh, We've all worked on that in our own own realms. Um, one thing uh, I wanted uh, my little list here. I did want to talk about one thing that I I was really impressed with in Amarillo at, at Martin Quarter Horse is your museum. 
and uh, that timeline, I thought um, it's it's uh, Gary. It's a sort of horizontal walk through uh, uh, the, the, uh, a museum with American Quarter Horse horses or events uh, uh, going through time, but then it's tied into going, you know, Elvis Presley in 1957 and uh, and different things through time that matches these things we're going on the Marine Corridors. Could you talk about that a couple minutes? I, I found that yeah. very fascinating. Well, our, our museum is, is dedicated to a couple of things. One, it's, it's honoring both um, amazing horses that did extraordinary things in, in our breed, but also some amazing people that have done some extraordinary uh, things for the benefit of the industry. And, and so um, those are the folks that we induct every year. Um, and honor uh, at the at the uh, museum. There's also a learning center that um, that uh, kids can come in and they can learn more about the horse and a little bit about the history of the court horse and what have you. But um, our art director, along with some of our marketing people, had the idea that um, when you timeline this, um, it's kind of hard for for kids, you know, our our, our teenagers, to grasp um, what the era was when this particular horse was running or when this particular breeder or leader of our industry was really engaged in the industry. And so um, in the background, uh, behind those different um, different horses and, and people, there's there's these displays of the times. So you just mentioned Elvis, you know, when he was getting started in the 50s. Well, you know, here's this unbelievable horse um, that, was, that was a rodeo champion. It was a quarter-mile champion. Um, that was running during that time when Elvis broke loose, uh, you know, out of out of Memphis, and um, and so and and so that history timeline goes through. You might have something on Eisenhower, you know, during uh, World War II, or maybe when he was elected president. And so those are things that maybe kids can relate to a little bit historically in that time frame, and it and it's kind of interesting to know, you know, that particular animal was popular. Uh, you know, say uh, back here when um, when Gerald Ford was president, or, or this particular pop artist was big. You know, so Mickey Mouse was started uh, was starting started at Disney World or Disneyland, right? So it's kind of fun, uh, and the kids yeah. like it. It's really well done, and like you say, it's, it is captivating. And because uh, sometimes bloodlines of horses, you can say, eh, you know, unless you're really into it. But the way you right. laid it out, it, it's it's really well done and right. and uh, it's a magnet i think just to walk right over and uh and, and see that whole whole display and, well the interesting thing is when if you're if you're really a student of horses i mean it's kind of these horses are celebrities and uh, mm-hmm. uh when you Absolutely. when you read about what they were able to do and what their contribution to to the population of core horses are and it's pretty amazing and you know we get a lot of calls from folks that buy a horse and um they get a pedigree, and they really don't understand who's on that pedigree, who's the grandsire and the maternal grandsire, and, and you and when you can tell them, say, hey, you've got you've got three Hall of Fame horses in your pedigree. <laughs> well, I don't care if that what that horse looks like, or how smart he is, or how athletic. It doesn't matter at that point, right? That's my horse, and he comes from Hall of Fame blood, you know, and that's kind of a neat thing. That's right. That is right. <laughs> Well, it's amazing how the American Quarter Horse, and, and I think that's it's been called America's Horse, uh, has had such an impact 
on so many people. Now I'm, I'm, I, my, my breed is another breed of horse, but mm-hmm. I, even I'm familiar with, with Wimpy and Poco Bueno yeah. and, and some of the other horses <laughs> that have been famous in the, in the quarter horse lineage. And it's just amazing. Uh, the impact that horses and their bloodlines and the, and the, and the good ones have really had right. on our lives. You bet. So you bet. we're about to run out of time, but, um, I want to give you an opportunity, Craig, if there's anything that you think that you need to tell us about the American Quarter Horse Association and, and kind of leave folks with. Well, I think the first thing is we if you're not a member of the AQHA, we'd like to invite you to be a member. It's $50 a year. And um, with that membership, you, you get a free magazine. It it's not free. It comes with your membership. Uh, America's Horse comes out 12 times a year. Um, and it's great interesting stories um, of a cross-section of what's going on in, in the quarter horse world from recreational riding to rodeo to some of these great horses and great events. Um, and so that kind of keeps you dialed in and tuned in to, to the quarter horse industry. Um, and then there's these beautiful benefits that John Deere and Ford and, and uh, many others uh, can provide you as a member. Uh, most, but most importantly, we'd like for you to be a part of our community. And um, when you're involved in our community, that means that uh, there's a lot of things you can get involved in, whether it's supporting the foundation, um, helping to put on events, uh, coming to our convention, going to uh, national shows or trail rides. Um, You know, we talked about it, Gary, today, um, raising money for our veterans um, for equine-assisted therapies or for kids who who have disability um, uh, to – uh, to, to raise money for research that will advance the health and the welfare of our horse. Um, there's just so many different directions you can go by being a member of the AQHA, and we'd just like to invite you to be a part of it. And uh, you can go to aqha.com or .org, aqha.org, um, and, and look us up and, and find out more about us. And uh, we'd just, we just love for you to be a part of the community. Well, it's a it's a great website and it's full of great information. And um, I would encourage folks that if they aren't member uh, to join, and uh, and even if you have another breed of horse, you might want to join the AQHA just so you can keep up with everything. Well, we we're not discriminative. We 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 love all horses, and um, uh, we love all people you know that are involved in the equestrian industry. And and we need to work together, right, to preserve Absolutely. our way of life and and to pre- preserve those lands, those public lands, Jim, that you've been fighting for for so long, yeah. where we can get on those backcountry trails and and uh, and live that good life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, Jim McGarvey. Anything that you'd like to that we need to know about backcountry horsemen? Anything exciting going on? Well, the, uh, it appears that uh, our next national board meeting, which will be in um, um, next April 19, will be in Asheville, North Carolina. And so, oh, great. Uh, yes, and that's, um, I don't have the exact location yet in my, my notes yet, but uh, so it'll be on the East Coast uh, for the folks here and in a great town of Asheville. So I do want to point that out for folks to come by and visit and uh, also to uh, go to bcha.org and uh, and find out more information there. All right, so check it out. Biltmore, I haven't been to the Biltmore in years. That'd be a good opportunity to go, wouldn't it? Sure would. The fastest I've ever been on a horse 
was at the Biltmore along the Broad River, you know, down below it. Yeah. My quarter horse Rusty, and he was wide open, and I was like hanging on. It was. Uh, I think I was doing that quarter mile, Craig. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, Flat stretch well, along the bank, you know. Uh, yeah, it's Biltmore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do a little trail riding up at the Biltmore too, so that's pretty cool. That's deal. fun up there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you guys have been absolutely great guests. Uh, Jim, always good to have you with us. And Craig, it's Thank been you. a real pleasure to meet you and to have you on the show today and share great information about America's horse, the American Quarter Horse. And uh, we're going to close the show today. We want to remind you that uh, you can join us again next Thursday for the Campfire Cafe beginning at noon Central Standard Time and followed by Saddle Up America immediately after. And we want to remind you, as always, if you climb in the saddle to get ready for the ride. We're going to close the show out today with a great song by Bryn Hill. It's called Rawhide Braider. Thanks for listening.
share of the things that he knew. And I found that most guys that I'd long analyzed learned their raw hide under him too. Prepare the hide well, keep your blade sharp as hell. Damper the strings almost dry. Take time to lay every string tight and straight Make something that's worthy of pride We'll live long after you die Over to wander to lay pull again I will teach you Riyadh, my friend in the wind over to wonder to me pull again <laughs> 